Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, animal people, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewitt, and this is our seventh anniversary, believe it or not, on the air here at K-Mozart. If you've been a listener since the beginning, I want to thank you for tuning in faithfully. And if you are a new listener, I hope you'll continue joining us each Sunday morning. We cover all topics relating to animals, and if there is a particular topic you want to hear about, please feel free to email us at PetPlaceRadio at gmail.com. I rely heavily on your emails. In fact, our first guest, Nancy Perry from the ASPCA, was referred to me via an email about horse meat being reintroduced here in the United States and how the ASPCA is fighting hard to stop this. This is quite the hot button with horse lovers everywhere, as you could probably imagine, so we'll be getting all the facts about this shortly. Then, after our halftime break, California Department of Fish and Wildlife State Bear Program Coordinator Mark Kenyon will be addressing general safety precautions and information about local black bears that are entering urban areas. With all the recent bear encounters that have been on the news lately, I think Mark will definitely ease the concerns that a lot of folks are having. So keep your radio tuned to the Pet Place on K-Mozart, and we'll begin after a very quick message from the station. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I'd like to welcome Senior Vice President of the ASPCA, Government Relations, Nancy Perry, to the program. Good morning, Nancy. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Good morning. It's so nice to be with you. Well, it's very nice to have you here, but we're going to be talking about a not-so-nice topic. I just got an email not so long ago about horse slaughtering for meat here in the United States, and I was completely taken aback by that because I thought horse meat was illegal in the United States. You know, it really should be, and your reaction is is a good one. Um, It's pretty shocking that this is under consideration, but it is actually a very real threat to every horse in this country today that they could wind up in a slaughterhouse before long. Wow, and I do know that a lot of a lot of horses are ending ending up in slaughterhouses anyway due to a long winding chain that just is inappropriate anyway. People have mm-hmm. horses, they get their little girls' horses when they're twelve, and they get tired of them two years later, and then all of a sudden the horses that become too expensive to maintain for apparently no reason get sold in auction and crisscross over to other countries and and these pets end up as meat, which is staggering and terrible. Yeah, so it is true. They can be discarded and people may not always keep their horse for life. But even in that situation, there's obviously a much better way to address that problem. Um, If a horse no longer has a quality of life or a place to be, to humanely euthanize that horse and let them fall asleep and drift away is a completely different situation than to load them onto a very crammed trailer and send them on long-distance transport to a place where they'll experience a very cruel and very terrifying death. 
Absolutely. So we really, you know, we, we think it's great if people can keep them for life and, and recognize that this is a threat and never um, let them go back into the marketplace. But realistically, that will happen. And so until we actually ban horse slaughter, not just in the U.S., but ban the transport of our horses over the border, um, I'm afraid every horse is in jeopardy. Wow, that's really awful. I know a lot of people think, well, isn't horse slaughter, you know, once they get to a plant, pretty much the same as euthanasia? What's your response to that? I've heard that myth, too, and it's quite different. When my horse was 26 and he had an illness we couldn't resolve for him, uh, I, we called a vet, and I held his head, and I said goodbye to him and watched him drift. And it was a very peaceful way for him to go, and even then very difficult to go through as as a horse owner. And I couldn't have loved anyone more than I loved my horse. <laughs> so so that is euthanasia. And frankly, as awful as it was to go through it, it was such a gift to be able to provide him that. Right. Horse slaughter really is the complete opposite. Horses are put onto transport vehicles crammed in, they sustain injuries on route very frequently as a cost of doing business. You can imagine it's slippery. They don't get rest for more than 24 hours by law. Mm -hmm. So they can be going through, you know, 105 degrees or minus 20 um, in that condition altogether. Very pregnant mares are sent to slaughter, and they will even give birth um, in the slaughterhouse sometimes. Mm -hmm. So the conditions are horrific in the transport, and then when they actually get to a slaughterhouse, it's a commercial slaughter operation, and horses are the most fractious type of animal you can imagine. Right. And they, they respond to those conditions by flinging their head and trying to get away, and that's literally the worst kind of response an animal can have in a slaughterhouse if we're trying to render them insensible to pain or to stun them. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that the animal would not even feel what's coming, coming. But with horses, it's very difficult to deliver that kind of a painless, quick death. And we know that. It's been documented that when slaughter plants for horses existed in the U.S. Uh, about five, six years ago, um, those plants were regulated by the USDA. But even then, there were just rampant cruelty violations this is documented by the government. We've been able to receive photographs and reports on these problems um, through the Freedom of Information Act. So we know that those plants, even regulated, are just brutal, and there is really no excuse to ever put a horse through that Absolutely. process. I've even heard that a lot of the, the horses, after they've been stunned and are supposedly immune to the pain, are still alive and kicking while they're being dismembered for meat. It's very gruesome. They will they will hit them with this the captive bolt device that is supposed to stun them, but it doesn't always. It's not a direct hit because the movement of the horse and because the the line is moving fast and the situation is dangerous as it is. Mm -hmm. So with and it's it's difficult enough to stun animals correctly in you know slaughterhouses that are slaughtering animals raised as food. These animals aren't. They're frightened in that environment and mm -hmm. their behavior biologically doesn't lend itself to it. And so, yeah, it's it's really um, awful, but the footage has shown horses still kicking, still blinking, still demonstrating consciousness while they are being hoisted, bled out, and then dismembered. That's it's just an unacceptable form of cruelty. It's a nightmare. And for people out there who say, well, it's just an animal, it doesn't matter, there's something that they should know about safety with regards to horse meat, isn't there? Yeah, well, you know, and, and I would just start by saying Americans really don't think that horses are just, you know, and I'm 
meaningless object. We revere our horses, and our, all of our polling demonstrates that 80% of the American public does not support slaughtering horses for food. Um, and even then, if you didn't care about that, you should care about the fact that horses aren't raised as food as a result of that feeling we have about them. We don't raise them as food. People don't eat horse meat in this country. And so we don't seem to care, but there is a, a really terrible reality for, for human health, and that is that horses are given throughout their life um, fly treatments, dewormers, and medicines that all contain substances that are banned for life by the FDA for human consumption mm -hmm. in any animal. So this is a very dangerous situation that we're setting up, either by allowing horses to be slaughtered for food overseas or by allowing it to occur here in the U.S. on U.S. soil, where that meat can then be taken to another plant, and it's entirely possible it can be commingled with other types of meat. This is what happened recently in Europe, and it created a tremendous uh, outrage and scandal. We saw tremendous drops in the sales of um, frozen meat dishes in the U.K., 43% drop, in mm -hmm. France, 30%, in Italy, 30%. So our industries are going to be impacted by this. And when USDA was asked, well, could it happen here, their only response was, no, because we're not slaughtering horses in the U.S., but now we're just about to open up horse slaughter plants in several states. So this is a very dangerous time, not just for horses, but for consumers. Absolutely. And in addition to eating the meat, there's issues with our local waterways getting polluted. Yes, unfortunately, our history with horse slaughter plants uh, leaves quite quite a um, dangerous situation for those communities that accept these plants. Horses um, have a high density of blood, and, and this is a disgusting topic, I know, but I have to tell you mm -hmm. that these plants, unfortunately, were notorious for polluting the local waterways, the property values decreased in those communities, the air had a foul stench, um, Economically and environmentally, this is a disaster for the communities that have been talked into it. And there are communities in New Mexico and in Iowa and in Missouri that all want to open horse slaughter plants. And I'm afraid that we're destined to relearn some lessons that we learned uh, years ago when these plants operated in Texas. They just they don't care about the communities. And they don't care about the horses, clearly. They certainly don't care about the horses, no matter what we've been told, some people would try to gloss over it and say, oh, it's all okay and it'll be regulated. But the reality was very clear when it happened before, and they're planning to use the same exact methods. In fact, uh, the plant in Iowa intends to use, if I understand correctly, they're going to use shotguns and shoot the horses in the face. So this is utterly unacceptable. And Americans, just, this is obviously not something we support, and I think it's a big mistake for the government to go forward with allowing these plants to open. But the good news is that Congress is taking action, and we've been working with many leaders in Congress who do get it. Um, bipartisan support mm -hmm. is there in both the House and the Senate. Every time this issue's come up, we've gotten massive bipartisan votes. So we've got some language in the current budget for agriculture appropriations that would disallow tax dollars from being used to support inspections for horse slaughter plants. And if we can get that language all the way through in the next few months, that will disallow these plants from operating. Wow. So what can our listeners do to help this along and make sure that their representatives know how they feel about this? 
great. It's very important that they let their members of Congress, both in the, the House, everyone has one U.S. representative and two U.S. senators, so letting them know that you do not support horses being sent to slaughter and you don't think that you should have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so you support disallowing tax dollars for horse slaughter, and then you also can tell them that you want them to co-sponsor, which is their way of officially supporting the Safeguard American Food Exports Act, the SAFE Act. Okay. You just say, I support banning horse slaughter. The message will get across, but please let them know. Um, thankfully, the two California senators have already co-sponsored this legislation and are great champions for horses. And it's no wonder because California banned horse slaughter by ballot measure in 1998. So, you know, California's got a great record on this. That's fantastic. And I know a lot of our listeners are listening while they're driving, and they probably weren't able to write down everything that you just said. Is there a simple and easy website that they could go to to find out some more information? Absolutely. Come to ASPCA.org slash horses, and you'll be able to find all the information you need to take action. And we really appreciate everyone speaking out. It, it, we can sometimes think our voice doesn't matter, but it does. And in the next few weeks, getting those calls in and getting those emails in to your member of Congress literally could make the difference. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for stopping by the Pet Place today and talking about this very important topic. Thank you for covering it. We appreciate it very much. We need to take a quick Pet Place break now, but we have a very informative guest from California Fish and Wildlife waiting to talk about black bears in the urban setting as soon as we get back. So stay tuned to K-Mozart, and we'll meet up on the other side of the break. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewitt, and joining me now from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife is Mark Kenyon, the State Bear Program Coordinator. Good morning, Mark, and welcome to the Pet Place. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing really well. I'm so glad you're here. And I just want to be clear, I'm not advocating keeping a bear as a pet. I know it's a little odd to be talking about bears on the Pet Place. (laughs) But um, you are an expert on bears, and I know that we've been seeing a lot of bears in the news lately about getting into the urban setting, and it seems like their population is growing a wee bit, and you've done some studies on that or are beginning a study. Can you tell me a little about that? Sure. Well, you know, we the department monitors our bears statewide, and, you know, a little bit of background about that is, you know, we've got more than 30,000 bears across the state. Um, But there are some areas of the state that we really don't have a very pinpoint, you know, very accurate estimate of the population. And so recently we began efforts in San Luis Obispo and Monterey counties to really get a better handle on how many bears we have out there in the woods. Okay. And we have a lot of bears that are coming down into the urban setting. Maybe not. Maybe it's just news, picking up on stories, and and bear stories are the popular uh, filler story du jour, I guess. What can you tell our listeners about bears in the urban setting, do's and don'ts, what to expect? Just take it away. Well, sure. You know, with more and more bears in this state, the bears get pushed out of habitats because, you know, those habitats are already full. And they end up in backyards in these urban areas as their populations expand. 
And, you know, people may never have seen a bear in their backyard for over 30 years. You know, we, I get that all the time from, uh, from people. I hear that quite frequently. But I want people to really understand that, you know, bears, although they might not or may not have been historically common, they're becoming more common. Okay. And I want Californians to understand what it really takes to live with our bears, because we're here to conserve our bears, we care about our bears, but we also care about people's livelihoods. Okay. We care about people's property. Are, are bears a, a problem? I mean, personally, if I opened up my back door and saw a bear sitting in my jacuzzi, I'd just take my phone, my iPhone out and start taking pictures. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would, too. But, you know, some bears are a problem. Some bears aren't. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for the majority, most of our bears do not cause a problem. They continue being wild bears. They eat wild foods. What happens, however, is once in a while we'll get a bear who receives, I don't know, some meal, if you will, from a person. And that could be in the form of trash or something they dropped. Or in the case of hikers in the backcountry, even they can get a hold of, you know, somebody's backpack and open it up and take their sandwich. Okay. So they start relating food to people instead of figuring out how to get their natural food sources. Precisely, precisely. And, and at that point in time, they're no longer wild bears. They really associate people with food, and then they become reliant upon them. Is there and, a way to retrain them, so to speak, so that they could start foraging for their natural food sources? You know, we've been investigating that for over 50 years, and really without very concerted efforts where Essentially, you have to slap their paw every single time they touch human food. Okay. If you don't, if you don't do that, then they don't learn their natural ways. Okay. So probably the best thing that people can do is to make sure that their trash is not available to wildlife, that they don't leave food accessible when they're out hiking and camping, that they don't put pet food outside so that their dogs, you know, can nibble and snack at any time because any other of the local urban wildlife uh, species can come on down and enjoy that food too, which essentially hurts those wild animals. And just do your part to make sure that you have all of those food sources out of reach of our local wildlife populations. Absolutely. And, you know, people, I want them to enjoy wildlife. I mean, that's why we chose California, because of its abundant natural resources. Mm -hmm. But we want to do it with respect to the animals as well. And absolutely, everything you, you picked up on there, you know, even putting away bird feeders when bird, you know, natural bird, bird food is, is prevalent, and even putting away your grill after you're done cooking a tri-tip. Okay. All those are very important. Okay, and what about water? I talked about the jacuzzi just kind of jokingly, but are bears coming down to get water from pools? You know, that's very interesting. I don't believe that they are. Okay. Um, there's, you know, although it may not seem it, there are abundant sp- natural springs, natural seats where bears can obtain free water. Okay, that's good to know. So we don't need to take any special precautions with pools then? No, just take a you know, good picture when they hang out. <laughs> now, what, if you do, what do you do if you're out walking 
and you're on a trail and you've got your dog and all of a sudden you come face to face with a bear, what steps should you take? Well, first you can consider yourself to be very lucky uh-huh. about, you know, because not every day, every day do you get to encounter a bear in California, but you do want to make sure that you're wise and you handle yourself safely for your own you know, safety and for that of the bear. We want people to act big and walk slowly away if, and, and anticipate that some bears will bluff. Some bears might try to charge, and I've been charged numerous times, but the bear usually will stop just short. Okay. Um, and that's just telling me to get out of his area. Okay. And I usually listen to that. <laughs> That's a good thing. Now, is a bear mother who has cubs with her more likely to be a little more aggressive than a bear who's just out, you know, taking a walk? You know, a, a sow with cubs will show more signs of aggression. However, again, she's mostly bluffing. She really doesn't want to come into contact with you. She really doesn't want to hurt you. She just wants you out of the area to ensure her cubs safety. So it's, again, read those cues, try to understand her point of view, mm-hmm. and just re- give them that respectable distance and get out of the area. Absolutely. And if you see a bear cub all alone, you're not supposed to just assume it's orphaned and, you know, try and pick it up and help it, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you care, leave it there, really, is the rule of thumb. Um, sows will put a bear cub up a tree or in a bush while she goes out and forages and tries to find, you know, additional resources for herself, especially if she, you know, if she, the cub is still suckling. She needs those resources to pr- produce milk. Um, so, yeah, don't necessarily assume that she's left the cub or that she's, you know, that that cub is orphaned. Um, chances are that sow will come back and pick up that cub. Okay. Let me ask you another kind of random question here because, after working for animal control for about 15 years, we used to have some, some pretty unusual calls with wildlife back when I was an officer. But one of the things uh, periodically that would happen would be uh, large uh, wild animal species would be crossing pretty major highways um, out in more of the wild areas, so to speak, and they'd be hit by cars. What would you do if you hit a car and the bear was alive, or even if it was no longer alive, what should you do? If you hit a bear and the and the bear is no longer alive, um, you can call uh, Caltrans or call the Department of Fish and Wildlife, okay. our local office, and we'll get somebody out there. And what if it's injured and needs help? If it's injured and needs help, you can call either 911 and they will get in contact with our local wardens who will go out and, and uh, assess the situation, or you can contact our local Fish and Wildlife Office. Okay. And what if you have a bear in your community that's just causing daily havoc? It's coming over and it's raiding everybody's trash cans. It's it's intimidating everybody's dogs and just really seems to have staked out a local neighborhood as its home territory. And that's very frequently what happens throughout California. Um, at that point in time, the laws of California enable people to either remove that animal um, from by lethal means 
or we can try to try to find a home for a bear. Um, however, you know, although there are lots of zoos across the nation, most zoos are already full with bears, and it's very hard for us to try to find permanent placement. But that is an option, and we try to you know assess each situation independently. That's good. So, so and at times you'll go out and you'll track a bear and you'll transport it out to an area that's more suitable and hopefully it'll stay there and not come back to the urban setting. Well, that's not always the case. Um, we, I've personally moved bears over 100 miles and it seems like they beat me back to where I trapped <laughs> them. Absolutely. So, well, were so their names have, Yogi? Right. Yogi and Boo they have this innate sense of homing. They will go back to where they know resources are abundant. And for us to try to move bears, you know, more than 100 miles, we're simply taking a problem from one area and moving it to somebody else's backyard. Okay. There's really nowhere in California where we can put bears where it's not going to come into contact with people. Yeah, that, so it that really makes needs, sense. Yeah, it really needs to be handled at the local level with those individuals. So everybody at the local level in the urban setting prevent the problem from ever happening in the first place by making sure you don't have food and you're not putting out the welcome mat. Absolutely, and that's why, you know, in San Luis Obispo and Monterey counties, that's why we're really hammering that because those are a new population coming into new areas and that's what, you know, we really need to focus on is preventive, preventative measures. Excellent. Mark, do you have a website, before I let you go, that you can let everybody know about where they could get more information? Absolutely. You can check out our, our Fish and Wildlife website regarding black bear management at www.dfg.ca.gov. Fabulous. And thanks so much for being on our program today. Great. Thank you very much. It's time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, be ready for Pet Place news and events here on K-Mozart. We're back on the Pet Place radio show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place news and events. Today, from noon to 4 p.m. at Fashion Island in Newport Beach, the Animal Network of Orange County is holding an adoption fair. Lots of great animals are available. For more information, call 949-759-3646 or visit www.animalnetwork.org. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org and send us your comments or suggestions for the show. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please spay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs>